this is kind of the gift of the magi on crack yeah because in the gift of the magi there's just this bittersweet irony of each of them giving each other gifts that they can't use in this it's two people sabotaging each other's entire livelihood for a one-time payout we need to be smart about the choices we make we need to consider all the options and make decisions based on what makes sense not what pa would do Boy. Why on earth did you shove her into... You get on that fucking stage and sing that song. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? You wanted it so bad, you get up there and do your thing. And in that moment when they're thinking about their dead husband slash father, yeah. this is what they're thinking he would do in this situation. We don't need guitars with Mother of Pearl inlays. We do not need used pianos. What we need is each other. Welcome to Unbound. A podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective. And a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get unbound. So what do you get when you're tasked with writing a Christmas special in the late 70s, but you don't want any Christmas music in it? (laughs) You don't want any real overlying Christmas themes. You don't want a whole lot of overlying Christmas imagery. (laughs) You want a happy ending, but you base the story on a much older story that doesn't have one. Well, what you get is the subject of this edition of Unbound at the Movies, or in this case, more like Unbound on the Couch Sipping Eggnog. (laughs) I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And this week, we are looking at Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Now, over the years, I have developed some different opinions about Mm. this special. It's still something that I watch every year. Oh, yeah. We love it. I love this special. I think that it was one of the better things that came out in my childhood. Definitely. There are problems with the messaging here, but nothing that an eight-year-old is going to pick up on. Right. There are definite bad messages that are sent in parts of this thing you know from a 2022 perspective we see this in the late 70s they didn't really see it that much and to be perfectly honest there's a big difference in my opinion between something that your kids are going to watch once a year and being indoctrinated with the same shit over and over and over again every single sunday you know to a kid this is just a cute story revolving around furry animals yeah and that's all it's ever going to be as you get older, you start seeing all of the layers. Yeah. And there are a lot of layers to this, mm-hmm. but I'm also not going to overanalyze it too much. No. I'm not going to vilify it. I'm not going to harp on things like the plethora of timeline issues that exist oh here. Oh, God, so many. <laughs> I, I will lampoon it a little bit. Oh, and because... I am definitely going to lampoon it a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And because it, it, it deserves it. At the end of the day, it deserves it. But at the same time, It's a lighthearted thing that no one involved in the process of making it set out with the intent to do anything subversive. No. So let's just make sure that we understand that going in. I'm not telling you not to watch this. As a matter of fact, I think that if you haven't watched it in a while, if it's been a couple of decades, it's going to be nothing but nostalgia. Yeah. And I definitely think that it's something that's going to remain part of our Christmas tradition around here for a long time to come. But uh, we are going to keep it on topic and give you a few points to ponder. And yes, there are things here that relate directly to what we talk about on this show. 
No Christians behaving badly at this point. We're no. going to bring that back probably in later episodes. But right now I'm going for brief to the point, short, sweet, and all of that because we are in a very busy time of year. Things are going great at the driving school. And I have to admit, having a little bit of a break to clear my head has been a good thing. Oh, yeah. And it's helped me to think a little bit more clearly about what direction I want to take the show in the future. We'll be back in two weeks with our, I want to call it the end of year roundup, but it's going to drop on January 1st. So So, maybe we'll just call it our beginning of the year launch. Yes. Where we do Unbound's New Year Know You 3.0. Yes. And just give you some motivation and encouragement to stay on a path that keeps you unbound in the next year. You know, the cross behind you, the world before you, that sort of thing. (laughs) And we'll be back with that in two weeks. But for right now, let's just start this deep dive into this awesome little Christmas special. Yeah. And talk about some of the honesty that kind of weaves its way through the narrative here. One thing that I've always liked about the Jim Henson company in particular is that they produced or and still do produce a lot of children's content but they do it on a level that's different than most right I feel like the Jim Henson company understands that they're grown-ups okay yeah. I think that a lot of children's programming out there is produced by grown-ups who are trying to be kids right well the Jim Henson company produces content for kids but you know that it's made by grown-ups who know they're grown-ups. Right. For me, anyway, it's been that way from Sesame Street forward. Yeah. And you look at things like The Dark Crystal and other things from that era that have a certain maturity about them, mm-hmm. but still appeal to children. Yeah. And I think that Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas is definitely an example of that mm-hmm. because I think most of the adults who watch this special can relate to the workaday grind oh, yeah. kind of message here. And they understand the struggles that Ma and Emmett go through much more than the kids. That part of the messaging isn't for the kids. Right. That part of the messaging is for the adults who are watching. That's another thing I like about their content is that adults can watch it. Yes. And enjoy it and relate to it just as much as kids can. We just we, we can just see through more of the layers right. than a child can. But I think that's a huge part of the charm mm-hmm. with the stuff that they produce. Now, for those who have never seen this special, it's just another iteration of The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. And there are few stories out there, especially around this time of year, that have been retold more than this story. Oh, yeah. I feel like The Gift of the Magi and A Christmas Carol are kind of neck and neck in terms of how many times this story has been told. There are a couple of added elements here, wherein Emmett and Ma, I think, take things a step further than uh, than Della and Jim ever did yeah. in the uh, in the original story, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that as we go along here. But that's just one extra layer that I think they add to this. And then there's also the element of a happy ending that doesn't exist in the original story. Right. But when you're making something for kids, you can't leave it on a dark note, especially when you're making a Christmas special. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want it to be dark and dreary and, and wondering how the characters make out in the end. We're going to find out how the characters make out in the end. 
not entirely realistic, but definitely Christmas. You yeah, know what definitely I mean? Christmas. So in the original story, The Gift of the Magi, O. Henry tells the tale of a young husband and wife who long to give each other meaningful Christmas presents. And this is a quote from uh, a site called study.com. So, you know, if you're a high school student, you don't want to read the story. You just go here and get the fine points. <laughs> the couple is constrained by their meager budget. So each gives up something they treasure in order to afford a gift for the other. O. Henry was said to have written this whole story in a few hours after realizing that he missed a deadline. Oh, man. That's some of the best stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I always felt like I wrote better under pressure when I was doing copywriting. Mm. I felt like some of my best stuff was that 11th hour shit that it's like, oh, my God, I forgot all about this. Yeah. And uh, that couple of hours of brainstorming and putting words on paper really turned into quite the juggernaut for this guy. Not that he ever really made a whole lot of money off of it. Right. But it's something that has endured over the decades. And and I guess, I'm, is this over 100 years old now? It was Victorian era, so it must yeah, be. Yeah, it must be at yeah. this point. But some critics believe that the story was inspired by his late wife, Athol, who sold one of her handkerchiefs in order to purchase a Christmas present for him when they were young and poor. And I don't know if he was ever old and rich. <laughs> I don't know. But it was based on experience. And sometimes those little memories that creep back in are the things that explode into a big story. And that's what happened here. But The Gift of the Magi is an example of social realism. The young couple at the center of the story does not have much money. In fact, they're barely able to pay their bills. The realistic portrayal of regular people struggling to make ends meet was a common theme of Victorian era literature. Like other works of the Victorian era, The Gift of the Magi ends with a moral or a lesson for the reader. What is that moral? Well, I'm going to get into that at the end. Because Emmett Otter's Jugman Christmas kind of delivers a slightly different message. And I think the message in the original is the more important one. Yes. So we're going to look at both. To give you the TLDR version of this, two people want to give each other a nice Christmas gift. But they're both broke. Jim has this pocket watch with a broken chain. And Della has this lovely mane of long hair that Jim is absolutely enamored with. And for Christmas, they both get it into their heads that they're going to give the others something that accentuates those things about them that I guess kind of define them in certain ways. And Della decides that she's going to buy Jim a chain for his pocket watch fob. And Jim decides he's going to buy Della a pair of expensive hair combs to just accentuate this gorgeous mane of hair that she has. And over the course of events, because they're broke, Della goes into this, I guess it was a wig shop, and asks the owner how much she would pay for her hair, right. you know, to, to just cut her hair nice and short so that she can make wigs. And she's offered the insanely generous price of $20 for it. And of course, that back then was enough to get this chain for the watch fob. So she agrees. Jim is so driven by this notion of buying these hair combs for Della that he sells the watch. <laughs> so now Christmas arrives and Jim has a chain for his watch and Della has these combs for her hair. But neither of them have the thing that that wonderful present would go with anymore right so that's where the story ends and i think that it's a cautionary tale about keeping in mind what really matters at christmas time 
So, uh, and again, I'll get into more of that as we go. But uh, the original story does end on a low note that's supposed to remind the reader about the dangers of materialism, especially in a society where there are seemingly only two classes, the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas conveys this message pretty clearly, too. Frogtown Hollow is populated by two distinct classes, the business owners who have all the money and a huge population of broke rednecks doing what they can do to get by. The Hollow isn't exactly the land of opportunity. I mean, when someone offers you 50 cents to mend a fence and that somehow translates to real money, you know things are bad. There are a few more layers to this story, and like I said before, there are definitely more layers to this story than The Gift of the Magi. And they added a decidedly happy ending to it because it's for kids and it has to be there. But I do think that the original message here remains intact. And I think it's the thing that the grownups need to be focusing on. The kids can focus on the happy ending. The grownups need to be more realistic. Yeah. So with all of that buildup, let's get into the actual special. And of course, we're met with the familiar visage of Kermit the Frog. (laughs) And he is once again riding his bicycle like he is at the beginning of the Muppet movie. And he falls off his bike just like he does in the beginning of the Muppet movie. But I missed the Gone with the Schwinn line. Yeah, that was such a good line. I love that line in the movie. And of course, it's not here because what was this, like a year later? Something like that. I think it was like a year later or probably even later that same year that this came out. And of course, Kermit is going to be the running narrator through this thing there's not a whole lot of narration he doesn't have a whole lot to do he's just there for the familiarity aspect of things and in the course of introducing the story we meet the river bottom gang which is also another layer to this that just isn't in the gift of the magi yeah no so they're the they're the quote-unquote bad guys and they also with all due respect add another layer of realism to this that we'll get to in a little bit as well so For whatever reason, the producers thought that it was tantamount important that we meet these characters early on, but they don't really have much to do just yet. No. One thing that I have always found interesting about this particular Christmas special is how totally and completely devoid it is of actual Christmas music. Yeah. None of these songs have anything to do with Christmas. Nope. And there are other issues that surround this that, you know, I will pick apart a little bit, but not to the point where I become, you know, everyone's least favorite uncle at the dinner table. You know, I'm not going to take it that far. No. But it starts out, and I I am going to point out this one timeline problem because I feel like changing one word in the script would have made all of this make a whole hell of a lot more sense. Yeah. For starters, we're told by Kermit that it's an afternoon in late autumn. Okay. But then... A couple of minutes later, we're told it's three days before Christmas. Yeah, that's If you a had simply said weeks, three weeks before Christmas, this timeline would have made so much more sense. Yeah. But I feel like that was one of the things that probably just got past the editors and everyone just said, fuck it. <laughs> probably. You know? Because, again, this is for eight-year-olds and their drunk parents sitting there watching it and, yeah. and gulping the eggnog. So, you know, who gives a fuck? Now, none of the music here has anything to do with Christmas, but how do they decide to open up this musical special about (laughs) Christmas? Well, they open it up with a song that's all about bat shaming. 
Ah, uh, yes. And, and again, you know, some of this wouldn't fly in 2022, but we had different attitudes about things in the late 70s. And this song called Grandma Otter's Bathing Suit. Yeah. Which, I mean, among other things, there are lines in there about many times a tourist would walk by and mistake it for a circus tent or something yeah. like that. Yeah, And was there was bad. all kinds of all kinds of jabs at Grandma Otter in this <laughs> song. And at the end of the day, it's funny, but it would never fly today. No. It just no. flat out would not. And this is how they open this Christmas special. It's with Emmett and Ma rowing down the river and singing this song. I think it's supposed to establish that they have a little bit of musical talent. Yeah, probably. I feel like that's why it's there in the first place. And then we start meeting some of the supporting characters here we meet wendell he's frogtown hollow's resident simp and uh, lover of mashed potatoes and he's just sort of sitting on the dock fishing and not having a lot of luck they live in a town called frogtown hollow and they're on their way into the town of waterville which i guess is supposed to be the business district and at this point we get to hear about pa Mm -hmm. and some of his witticisms and the way that they talk about him yeah they idealized this guy in a way that, I'm sorry, he just never deserved. Mm-hmm. Now, the only thing that I can think of, the only reason why I can imagine them being so endeared to this guy is that at the end of the day, he loved his family. Right. But he was a bit of an idiot. Yeah. And, you know, he left them with nothing. Yeah. And as they're rowing, Emmett voices his concerns about Christmas. You know, it's it's getting close and the money's not there, and how are we going to get ourselves Christmas presents and whatnot? And Ma just, she wants to change the subject on that like uh, immediately. Yeah. She's like, okay, lean into those oars. There's Gretchen Fox, and she's waiting for her laundry and all of that. So this is, one, this is what Ma does. She has her little laundry business, yeah, and that's going to be very important later on. This is the primary way that she makes her money, is doing other people's laundry. So they row up to this dock, and there's Gretchen Fox, an actual fox, and a very, very nasty bitch at that. Oh, she's She terrible. is Frogtown Hollow's equivalent of Helen Olsen from Little House. Yeah. Complete with how she dresses, you yes. know? I found it interesting that the original, and this is what I mean about the Jim Henson Company, they know that they're grown-ups when they write this stuff. But sometimes what works on HBO does not work with a major network. And when... This show went from being an HBO special to a network special. There was a line in here that they decided just didn't fit with a children's special. Yeah. Gretchen, again, nasty bitch. And it's supposedly at this point three days before Christmas. And that's what Ma says. And I guess the arrangement that they have with these people is that they pay at certain intervals. And Gretchen's payment isn't due until next week. So Ma is trying to get her to pay the bill now so that they can have a little extra money for Christmas. And of course, Gretchen doesn't give two shits and she's walking off. (laughs) Yeah. And mom is like calling after her. I have the bill right here. And, you know, being that it's three days before Christmas, I'd sure appreciate it if you'd fall off the dock. What a great line. I know. I mean, it's like, this is what we would all be thinking at this moment. But of course, whichever of the networks picked it up decided that was too edgy. In 1981, they decided that That fall off the dock was too edgy and they cut it out. It's another one of those things that 
kind of shows you that they think like Pa in certain ways too. Yeah. But and I also think that it was an absolutely appropriate response to the way that she treated them. Uh, yeah. And on the heels of that lovely interaction, we come across one of the more uh, one of the more simple inhabitants of this little town of theirs, Will Possum, and. This is how it's it's amazing how these people make their money and keep things afloat because apparently Ma also has a bartering agreement with this guy. Again, they just paddle their way over to where this guy is and Ma has conveniently brought these wool socks along to barter yes. with and he's got some pumpkins that they decide to just trade, even swap. So now Ma has pumpkins that she has the idea she can make into pies and sell at a profit, which I'm going to come back to in a few minutes, too, yeah. because it just seems like a much better solution to another problem that she's about to face than what she actually does. Yeah. But if she doesn't do the thing that she does, then it's not the gift of the Magi. That's right. the problem. But um, my my thought as an adult here is you couldn't have made enough money off of those pies to get the material for the dress. Okay, I'm getting ahead. Let's stay let's stay <laughs> on the timeline. Okay. So they make it to Waterville and they're walking around this town that inexplicably 3 days before Christmas is pretty much barren. Yeah. And it inexplicably has a fruit stand. Three days before Christmas. Because, of course. There are so many things. It's, there are just so many weird little things. It's like no one is shopping. Emmett and Ma are the only people on, on the street. It's like, how desolate is this place that no one is out buying Christmas presents three days before Christmas? And even if it was three weeks before Christmas, I'd find it a little bit strange just how few people were milling about at this point. Yeah. So they're walking through town. And Emmett asks Ma, is that all the errands we have to do? And she says, nope, but it's the end of the money we have to do them with. So that gives you an idea of what their socioeconomic standing is like. It's like, we only had enough money to do this because Gretchen Fox is a bitch. Um, and that's, you know, if, yeah. if, if she had just been a, a, a decent, quote unquote, not do I call her human? I don't know. If she had just been a decent individual. Or a decent neighbor. Yes. Then they might have been able to take care of a few more of these errands. So now they talk a little bit about how they make their ends meet. She's like, oh, Emmett, you with your odd jobs, me with my socks and pumpkins. No wonder we're so rich. And I'm thinking, if you're already thinking about this, then why do the things that happen later actually happen? And there is a reason. And that's the one area of toxicity that I'm going to, uh, yeah. that I'm going to get into with this. And Emmett reassures her. He says, ah, we'll make out. You got to have faith, Ma. Oh, there's that word. It's the one F word that I really abhor. <laughs> the other one I'm fine with. Yeah. This one I don't like very much. And she says, oh, I got plenty of faith. I spent all those years married to a snake oil salesman, didn't I? And Emmett says, well, Pa should have gotten rich on snake oil, but there just aren't enough people who want to oil a snake. And that apparently was what Pa used to always say when business was bad. And it's mentioned that he said it a lot. Yeah. And the way that they live definitely reflects that he probably said that a lot. <laughs> this encapsulates Pa and the lessons that he taught his family. He may have been passionate about his family. He may have been passionate about snake oil, but he couldn't accept 
that the market wasn't passionate about what he was passionate about. And that was why he was not successful. Either that or he was just a shitty salesman and didn't know how to move the shit. I don't know. It was probably more of a half and half thing. Right. I notice that no one else in this thing ever brings up Pa. No one in the town talks about Pa. No one in the town uses the catchphrase, it's what Pa would do. It's just these two. And, you know, that also tells me a thing or two. Because if this guy was even remotely respected in town, I think more people would have actually been talking about him and conveying the same sentiments about, well, what would Pa Otter have done? So on the heels of this conversation, Emmett and Ma are walking by a very loud music store. We're going to find out why it's so loud in there in a second. The thing that catches Emmett's eye is this guitar in the window. It's a beautiful guitar, used guitar, with mother-of-pearl inlays, and it goes for $40. And let's just remember that they just ran out of money before they ran out of errands. But Emmett sees this, and all he can think is, that's what you can get me for Christmas. And Ma's response is less than hopeful. She's like, oh, sure. I mean, it's only $40. And I'm sorry. I don't know what year this is supposed to be. They have cars and snowmobiles, so who knows? But $40 to these people is a lot of money. Yes. It's more money than than they can scrape together selling pies and doing laundry. That's for sure. And now we're going to find out why it's so fucking loud inside the store. The River Bottom Gang has made another appearance in town and they have basically taken over this music store and they're playing this devil rock and roll (laughs) that the poor shopkeeper is just like, oh my God, get me out of this. And they leave after a very, very short period of time. They knock over the fruit stand and this this is what we're supposed to understand about them. You've got Chuck, he's a bear and he's the leader of the group. (laughs) And then you've got, what's his name? I know he's a stoat (laughs) and you've got a snake and you got a fish. This is the river bottom gang. And, and they're also apparently aspiring musicians as their dulcet tones from inside the store suggest. (laughs) And, And of course they, they have their reputation and Ma has her opinions on them. It's like, Who are these guys? I don't know who they are, but they're hooligans is basically what she said. And Emmett kind of puts two and two together and says, I think they're from Riverbottom. And I'm like, where is this place? Is it like Lawrence? I mean, (laughs) anyone, anyone from Massachusetts understands that one. If you're from outside the state, just look them up and uh, all will become clear. But Riverbottom apparently has its reputation and has the name to go along with it, too. Now they're rowing home. Now they're on their way back to good old Frogtown Hollow, once again talking about Christmas as if the point hasn't been made abundantly clear by now that they're broke and Christmas is looking bleak. They have to make sure that the audience completely 1000% understands this, so they just keep bringing it up. And Ma starts reminiscing about the time she had to sell her piano. Right. Because they were so strapped that the only way that they could meet their bills that month was to unload this piano that she loved so much and that Pa had given her. And Ma says at that point, she's like, we've sold about everything that we have over the last couple of years. About all I've got left is my sense of humor in a wash tub. <laughs> and Emmett, being so committed to being the positive influence here, 
says, well, at least there ain't no hole in the wash tub. And, of course, that's a lead-in to the next song, a very upbeat song for one that carries such a dark, foreshadowing message for this story. (laughs) But the entire song encapsulates the message in The Gift of the Magi, I think. Paul Williams was, or is, I don't think he's dead, very, very talented when it comes to writing music and lyrics. There's a lot of layers to his music, too. Yeah. And this was no exception. He did a great job with the music with this. Oh, gosh, yeah. But uh, just some some of the lyrics to this song... Head full of good thoughts, belly full of grub, money in your pocket when there ain't no hole in the wash tub. You know, they should really be thinking about this just a few minutes from now. And the next part of it says, if you look to the good side, falling down's a free ride, slipping in a sliding in the mud. So it twists and contorts you. The barrel supports you. You can feed and clothe yourself with a -a rub-a-dub-dub when there ain't no hole in the wash tub. And I'm getting chills just thinking about this because I know what's about to happen. And I also know that if they know the words to this song, they know better than the decisions that they're about to make. They understand what's at stake here. But... I think that in these couple of lines, Paul Williams was trying to communicate the concept of stability, something that isn't going to last long in this story. Things are about to get very unstable here, and it's going to happen very quickly. So as they're rowing home, we get to meet one more of the minor characters. His name is Doc Bullfrog, and uh, (laughs) a few years later, I would watch a very rotund, roly-poly pastor walk out (laughs) onto the platform at Faith Assembly and I would immediately think of Doc Bullfrog. This guy (laughs) looked just like my old senior pastor, sounded like my old senior pastor. It was crazy. And I literally, the very first time I saw him, it was the very first thing I thought of was, holy (laughs) shit, it's Doc Bullfrog. (laughs) And it wasn't a bad thing. It was actually a very endearing thing. You know, I'm not trying to poke fun at the guy. So... Getting back to the story, this lovely, whimsical little holiday story, something skewed with the timeline here because yeah. Kermit comes back with one morning, yeah. the entire world is just frozen over, okay? Yeah. So it's like, well, which morning is this? There, there really should only be two mornings involved in this entire thing if it's three yeah. days before Christmas. And uh, the river is completely frozen. Okay, so I guess we're supposed to believe that overnight, the river completely froze. If that happened, then everyone in the town would have froze too. (laughs) So again, issues with the timeline, but when you're eight, who cares? So let's just accept that this is what happened. The world is frozen. And Wendell shows up with this awesome news that he's gotten this job mending a fence for one of the quote-unquote people in the town. And he's all excited because he's been offered a whole 50 cents to yeah. mend this fence. The problem is that he doesn't have any tools, and Emmett does. So he kind of comes to Emmett, and he's like, well, I've got this great opportunity, but I don't have any tools. And Emmett's like, oh, well, you know, we can use my tools, and we can split it. And this adorable 
little dolt can't figure out <laughs> how to evenly split 50, 50 cents. cents. Yeah. And, you know, the business person in me is looking at that and saying, why are you splitting it 50-50? The guy supplying the tools. Start thinking in terms of 80-20 or like 70-30. <laughs> so there's no possible way that I think either of them would be able to come up with those calculations. In no. Head. So half of 50 cents. Half, half of 50, 50 cents. cents. What is that? What could that possibly be? I, that's, well, that's Wendell. It's, it's kind of endearing. In a way. Yeah. He, well, he's a porcupine, so you can't really put a pet. You know, they're yeah. not bright. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not known for their savvy, are they? <laughs> but the thing that really got me about this is how excited they both get over a job that's going to pay them 50 cents. So Emmett runs back in the house and grabs his tool chest and tells mom that uh, he and Wendell have got a job. Real money this time. Yeah. So on the heels of that, Hattie Muskrat has shown up at the Otter home to use the spinning wheel that actually belongs to her, <laughs> that Ma maybe borrowed a couple of years ago. Yeah, something like so, that. So, uh, you know, this is kind of the small town way of doing things. She shows up to use the spinning wheel that is rightfully hers. <laughs> and, and apparently there is this contest that's going on for Christmas Eve, a talent show at the town hall. And Hattie is doing her level best to convince Ma to enter the contest because she's got a good singing voice. And she thinks that uh, Ma would be likely to win. Ma is apprehensive, but Hattie persists. And now the bug is in her ear about it and the cogs start turning. She needs an outfit for the contest, but there's no money. So instead of baking those pies and getting the money that way, which seems like the obvious solution to me, she starts contemplating hawking Pa's old tool chest, something that Emmett uses for these lucrative odd jobs of his. Because mm. that's the much more reasonable solution. I have to think that if Pa was there at that point, he would have suggested making the pies. Yeah. There's a part of me that just thinks that he was just smart enough that he would have said, no, don't hawk the tool chest. You got these pumpkins, make the pies. That's probably what he would have said. But, you know, again, it wouldn't be the gift to the Magi if she didn't <laughs> hawk that tool chest. And the other thing that gets me about this is that this is kind of the gift of the Magi on crack. Okay? Yeah. Because in the gift of the Magi, there's just this bittersweet irony of each of them giving each other gifts that they can't use. In this... It's two people sabotaging each other's entire livelihood for a one-time payout, which yeah. takes it to an entirely other level. We'll get to Emmett's part of this in just a sec, but she's really seriously thinking about hawking the tool chest so that she can get material to make a dress that, with all due respect, once that's all done, doesn't look much different than anything else she ever wears. Yeah. So, you know, there it's is It's just that. newer. It's just new, and that's that's the point, I guess. So now Wendell and Emmett are working on the fence, and as happens often, it's a bigger job than they expected, but they already agreed on the price, so they're just going to do the thing to the thing and walk away with their 50 cents and probably spend about four times as long on the job as they had intended. But Wendell then brings up the talent contest and tells Emmett that first prize is $50. So now we get to meet Charlie Muskrat and Harvey Beaver, and they have an even bigger idea. They want to organize a jug band. Wendell can blow a jug, and Emmett can sing and play 
wash tub base. Only one problem. To make a wash tub base, you have to put a hole in the wash tub. Yeah. And that kind of renders the wash tub useless for what mom does to make her money. Yeah. Okay? But they're both thinking about it because they're so fixated on Christmas at this point. Right. That they're not looking at the big picture. And just so that we can put this into perspective, if mom wins, they get 50 bucks. If Emmett wins, they only get $12.50 because they have to split the prize money four ways. Right. So there really is no win-win here, regardless of how you try to put it all together. There's no win-win. But they're both thinking about it. And they're going to think about it even harder because now it's just sort of a bug in their ear that we can do this and we can make Christmas happy for each other. But what happens when you wake up on the 26th and you have no way to make money anymore? That's a problem. Because all that money's going to go away on a guitar or on a down payment on a new piano. This is the other thing. It's like Emmett thinks that he can get mom a new piano. Or a used piano and put a down payment on it and give it to her for Christmas. Well, my question is, well, what happens when the next payment comes due and you don't have it? Yeah, that's Because now you can't do odd jobs and now no one can do laundry. They're not thinking beyond Christmas. And this is definitely a commentary on how we look at this as a society. And as you can hear, the heat's coming on again. In our, <laughs> in our awesome studio here, we're back to this whole thing where you get to hear the heat come on. So apologies for that. It'll be over in a couple of minutes. How do you put a down payment on something that you know you can't make any more payments on? And of course, as I'm thinking that, I start thinking about the housing bubble yeah. of the early OOs. A lot Ugh. of people put a lot of down payments on things they couldn't afford. So this is human nature 101. It's just that this was the late 70s and that happened decades later after we should have learned a few things about ourselves, but we don't. And mm. over time we don't. No. It takes a lot more than a few decades and you know just like when we talk about things like Salem, 300 years and we still haven't learned our lesson about that. Nope. So, you know, we don't change too much and that's problematic and the way that society has taught us to think about Christmas is very toxic. Uh, yeah. And that, it's like, the messaging in this special isn't toxic. It basically throws the curtain open on the toxicity of it. Mm-hmm. The messaging here isn't toxic. It's social commentary. Yeah. And it's true. And it's accurate. And again, it's one of those things that the adults should be paying attention to, but probably aren't. Okay? Yeah. So now it's time for Emmett to cut down the Christmas branch. And they're thinking, Mom and Emmett are both thinking about all of this as they're doing their things. And Emmett comes back with the Christmas branch. You see, Pa was kind of like the world's first environmentalist charlatan, okay? That was his thing. He didn't like the idea of cutting down an entire tree because if he doesn't cut it down, the rest of it will still be alive in 100 years. Right. So... That was always his reasoning for it. So the otters never had a Christmas tree. They always had a Christmas branch. (laughs) And this thing is even more pathetic looking than Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, okay? (laughs) It's pretty fucking pathetic. But at least it's something. And then on the heels of that, we got our Christmas branch. It's allegedly two days before Christmas at this point. And now we see the otters basically sliding down the slide that Pa made onto a frozen river that was liquid yesterday. (laughs) 
and they start talking about the slide and it brings the conversation back around to Pa. And Emmett says, that old slide is about the best thing that Pa ever made and one of the best things that he left behind. And my question is, if they're taking their cues from Pa, why not open it up to the town and charge, I don't know, a penny a slide? It seems like the thing that he would do. Yeah. It just feels like if Pa was making the decisions here, that's what they would do. And that tells me that Pa's thinking only got so far into their heads, which probably isn't a bad thing. But in the context of some of the decisions that they make through this, mm-hmm. maybe they should have been listening a little bit more carefully <laughs> because Pa was a bit of an idiot. But I don't think that he would have hocked the tool chest or put a hole in the wash tub. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that, that those are things that would have happened. But they think that it is. And that's where all the rest of this comes from right they think that they're doing what pa would have done and honestly these two make the same excuses for pa that the average christian makes for god you know Mm. this is the way that pa would have done things so this is the way that we should do them i forget whether it's ma or emmett that says this one but one of them is quoting pa at this point and says that people need to take more chances or life would come to nothing and this is going to be their justification for what they do next yeah and I'm thinking to myself when, when I'm hearing this, it's like, well, sometimes one is the consequence of the other. Yeah. And you got to look at it from that perspective, too. So they're waxing reminiscent about Pa, and they once again break into song. And this was apparently Pa's favorite song. And now we're going to be favored in this Christmas special with a song that is literally about death. Yeah. When the River Meets the Sea is a song about death. Now, the first time I heard it, yeah, I got excited because we also used to sing this song as part of the folk mass at St. Pete's. Yeah. I'm not sure why it was in there. I'm not sure what message was supposed to be uh, gleaned from it. But again, when I was six, seven, eight years old, it just sounded good. And then I heard this song playing in this show that I would hear in church. It's like, ooh, that's kind of cool. But when you listen to the lyrics, yeah, it's about the same as a song like In the Sweet By and By. Yeah. It's the same basic messaging. So they go through this song, and in their melancholy moment of reminiscence, they both come to what they consider to be an epiphany. Pa would hock that tool chest, and Pa would put a hole in the wash tub. Would he? I don't know. For me, the jury is still out. But, you know, emotion does a lot to steer our thinking. And in that moment when they're thinking about their dead husband slash father, this is what they're thinking he would do in this situation. He wasn't a smart guy, but I think that he had more of a head for business than we give him credit for. And I do not think that he would have done any such thing. (laughs) But here we are. Decisions have been made. They're both going to do these incredibly stupid things. They leave each other notes confessing what they're about to do. Ma tells Emmett that she took the tool chest and she'll explain when she sees him late tonight. And Emmett says, I took the wash tub and I'll explain about that when I see you late tonight. And neither of them knows that the other is entered in the talent contest. They're keeping this from each other. Because I guess it's the element of surprise when one of them wins. So neither of them is telling the other what they're doing because they want to surprise each other with this awesome Christmas. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, you're going to wake up on the 26th with no way to make money. 
So, you know, what happens then? It's a question that they never, ever get around to really, really examining. And I'm thinking just, you know, in, in my adult brain, watching this for the purpose of putting together this episode, this just kind of jumped into my head. How much fun would it have been if it had panned out more like this? Hey, Ma, I need my tool chest. Do you have it? And I need my wash tub, Emmett. Do you have that? What? What? oh yeah okay just the jig is up at that point you know what i mean it's like i need my tool chest fuck i need my wash tub fuck and that's it end the story (laughs) roll credits it's all done circumstance has taken care of everything so we don't see mom sell the tool chest but we do see emmett put the hole in the wash tub yeah and I would have killed at this point for a rendition of Ain't No Hole in the Wash Tub in a minor key. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's like he's just sort of walking out into the yard with not his hammer, mind you, because that would be in the toolbox. He's hammering a nail into this thing with the branch of a tree, which I guess in this universe works. But I'm just thinking to myself how much more dark this scene would have been if Emmett is just walking out into the backyard like he's about to do in Old Yeller. Yeah. And you hear, head full of good thoughts, belly full of grub, money in your pocket when there ain't no hole in the wash tub. Oh, God. That's horrible. I worked hard on that. Don't say it's horrible. Um, <laughs> well, let's see. Now that, I, now that I had to go back in my notes. Okay, here we go. So Emmett does the thing. He pokerizes the wash tub. And the tone of this scene is so heavy. It's like the end of Old Yeller, okay? But just like that, they're a jug band and they're rehearsing their song, the ever-popular barbecue. Again, absolutely nothing having to do with Christmas. Right. Not very Christmassy, but definitely very redneck. So I guess we get it. Like, again? (laughs) Okay. And now... You know, with friends like this, this is what I'm thinking. With friends like this, Hattie, who has basically guilted her into it, is now having a moment of clarity. And she's talking to Ma about what happens if you don't win. And Ma is working feverishly to make this dress. And her response to this is, you know, I've got to win. Emmett is going to have that guitar with Mother of Pearl inlays for Christmas. And she is very, very bound and determined. And Hattie's response here, it's like, why on earth did you prod her into this? If your only response to this is going to be, whatever you say, Alice. Boy. Why on earth did you shove her into You get on that fucking stage and sing that song. You know what I mean? You wanted it so bad, you get up there and do your thing. But no, we talked her into this, and now we're going to cast doubt. Yeah. With friends like that, who needs enemas? You know what I mean? Yeah. Now we jump back to the boys practicing their song, and Emmett is, he's hes obsessing over this. He's like, it has to be perfect. And it's like, we've already gone through this so many times. Like, yeah, well, we're going to go through it again. And honestly, if you're a good musician in a good band, this is just par for the course. You right. don't practice a song once and perform it. I don't care what the members of Latria want to say about anything. <laughs> <laughs> this was the band that 
uh, Shell and I were in, in in college. It's where we met, so I can't badmouth them that badly. I've gotten 30 plus years out of it so far. But, you know, that's that, that's what I'm thinking is you don't want to wind up like that band that we were in. Yes, <laughs> practice, 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 practice. Make it as perfect as you possibly can. But everyone's no. getting tired. And then outside you hear the snowmobiles start rolling up again. What year is this? These freaking degenerates have snowmobiles. Okay? Right. And we find out that there's another entrant in the talent contest, and it's these hooligans that (laughs) uh, took over the music store. So we already know that they have talent, and this should be worrisome, okay? Yeah. It really should be worrisome because we've already heard what they can produce. So, of course, now they're mocking the boys who are in their little loft playing their silly little songs like, they're going to win the talent contest. They're overconfident and cocky and whatnot, and they ride off on their snowmobiles. So things start moving a little bit more quickly here. All of a sudden, it is in fact Christmas Eve (laughs) and the talent show is about to begin. This one scene is going to take up about a third of this entire special. Okay. So we're going to go through it quickly and, uh, and not going to go into a whole lot of description. Suffice it to say that most of the acts completely suck. We meet our illustrious judges, James Badger, Gretchen Fox, the bitch, and the lovable Doc Bullfrog are the ones who are deciding the fate of the otters here, okay? Yeah. And their MC Harrison Fox is every bit as charming as his wife, as we'll find out in a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah. But again, the opening acts absolutely suck, and the boys have this ray of hope. And they're like, well, if the acts don't get any better than this, we should have no problem. And then it happens. Yancey Woodchuck takes the stage singing the ever-popular Barbecue. And guess what? He also sucks. (laughs) He also really, really sucks. But now the boys are panicking. They're like, we can't do that song after he did it. People will think we're copying. And I'm like, how? How? It's like, we got to rehearse a new song. Why? I cannot count the number of times I heard Friends by Michael W. Smith during a single teen talent event. Oh, okay? seriously. <clears throat> the number of times that I heard the same songs over and over and over again during those talent shows mm. when I was a teenager, come on. There would have been no issues whatsoever with them getting on stage and singing that song. But now they're paranoid. So what are they going to do? They're going to go out into the cold and rehearse a new song with minutes to spare so that they don't look like they're copying. Ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Just, they should have just stuck with the plan. Not that they would have won, but they should have stuck with the plan. So they're outside and they're rehearsing. And of course, Harrison Fox looks outside and says, you there, aren't you part of this contest? Get in here this minute. You might miss your intro and we want this show to look professional. And I'm yeah. like, <laughs> too late, buddy. Too late. Way too late for that. You have absolutely nothing to worry about. And as it turns out, I guess these two were, like, toward the end. These last two acts are the only ones that are any good. You've got Ma, who comes out first and sings a song called Our World. Again, nothing to do with Christmas. Mm -hmm. And the boys are on right after her. And in five minutes' time, they have rehearsed and perfected a song called Brothers. And they sing this song... And both acts get all kinds of applause. And now you're like, now it's between mom and Emmett. Are they going to walk home with $50 or $12.50? Yeah, right. And then it happens. 
Harrison Fox gets on stage and says, we had a last minute entry and normally we wouldn't allow this, but these boys came a long way, all the way from Riverbottom. And then we are favored with the Riverbottom Nightmare Band. Oh my God. And their self-congratulatory self-titled song. About um, themselves. About themselves. <laughs> that completely takes over the crowd. The crowd goes wild. And there is no question in anyone's mind who's going to win this contest at this point. And of course, these hooligans walk away with the $50 prize. And Emmett and Ma walk away without a tool chest and without a wash tub and without any way to sustain themselves or make a living. And it's Christmas Eve. Christmas morning is going to be a raucous time in the Otter household. That's for sure. Yeah. No prize money. They're completely fucked out of both of their livelihoods. Yeah. And just to add insult to injury, as they're walking, they encounter Doc Bullfrog, who tells them, you know... We just want you to know that we were impressed with both of your acts. We just thought that they needed a little something extra. Well, what? Like bass amps and uh, and an attitude? Is is that what was missing here? Apparently. I don't know. But I still feel like that performance was the most exciting thing to happen in that town in a really, really long time. Yeah. So, of course, it got the response that it did. But in terms of hometown feel, yeah. then one of these two should have won it. One of, uh, them, yeah. one of them should have walked away with the, with the prize money. But, of course, it wouldn't be the gift of the Magi yeah. if that had happened either. Right. So now we're wondering, you know, what lies in store for the future with these two? They're fucked. Let's just put it out there. They're fucked. But here's the thing. They're at peace with this whole thing. Yeah. And one of them, I forget which one of them, says that, I guess I should feel pretty bad, but I don't. I feel pretty good. And... I think it was Ma that says, well, we feel good because we did just what Pa would have done. Yeah. I'll touch on that one in a minute, too. <laughs> As they're walking, which one Which one is it? One of the boys starts uh, playing Brothers on the Kazoo. Yeah. Because what else are you going to do? And Mom kind of has this epiphany. She's like, these two songs go together. And they start singing. And the songs do actually go together really, really well. Hmm. And as luck would have it, when she figures this out, they're standing right outside of this restaurant called the Riverside Rest. And in an even luckier twist of fate, this place is owned by no other than Doc Bullfrog, (laughs) who minutes ago told them they were both really good, but they needed a little something extra. Well, they're walking home on the river because it's the fastest way home and they stop to sing this song and it starts getting the attention of everyone in the restaurant. So here's where the happy ending is going to come into play. They hear them singing outside. Doc Bullfrog walks out and he looks absolutely enthralled with what he's hearing and he offers them a job playing at the Riverside Rest. So... They didn't win the prize money, but it looks like here they have the opportunity to make a little bit more than 50 bucks. Yeah. And when they're working, their meals are free. So that's one less meal to get on the table because they're just going to eat at work. And of course, Wendell is very, very concerned that mashed potatoes are on the menu. Yes. And of course, Doc Bullfrog assures him that they definitely have mashed potatoes and that seals the deal for Wendell. Oh, yeah. You know, mom, of course, 
thinking a little bit more like Pa, decides that she's going to be the negotiator here. She's like, now hold on a minute. Is the pay regular when we play regular? And Doc uh, says, yeah, and meals are on the house. So you can't beat that. No, you really can't. You really can in, in, in this society, yes. in this town. In this economy. They just hit pay dirt. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. And, you know, again, oh, <laughs> if it had ended like the gift of the Magi, children would have gone to bed on Christmas Eve having nightmares. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of needed this. I'm not going to fault it for pulling out the happy ending redirect here. I think that it was necessary. But in the end, they start making some regular money. They get some free meals. Wendell gets his mashed potatoes. And Christmas is merry once again. And, of course, they end it off by basically thanking Pa. Yeah. Again, singing about death. Because Mm. we end it off with a reprise of When the River Meets the Sea. Wow. That is where the story ends. And yes, it was necessary to give it a happy ending for the kids. Of course. I think that the way that it ended made it the endearing story that it actually is. But, you know, there are things. There are (laughs) things here. And I'm not going to give this a really wild negative spin. No. Just give you some things to think about here. Because now comes the part where I have to kind of tie this in with what we talk about on the show. So for starters, I don't think that the people who wrote and produced this special had any ulterior motive. I don't think they meant to send any kind of toxic messaging, not even with the fat shaming. I actually think that they did a good job of delivering the underlying message in The Gift of the Magi. And that message, to me anyway, has always been that you don't need stuff in your life. You need people, you need friends, family, things that are more important than money and gifts. We don't need a little something extra. What we need is each other. And you know what? I think that right there is the most overlying message with this. Yeah. Is that these people needed each other. They didn't need a guitar with Mother of Pearl inlays. They didn't need to replace a piano that they had to sell. They needed to concentrate on what they had already. Right. So in that regard, I think that they accomplished their mission with this. I think it's pretty positive messaging, but there is a cautionary tale in here too, just like with the gift of the Magi. And here's where it comes around to what we talk about. As Christians, we're taught that faith trumps all. We're taught that if we just endeavor to do what Pa would do, everything will work out. No, Emmett and Ma don't pray to Pa. They don't act on what they think would be Pa's will, but... But Pa would hawk that tool chest does tread very close to that line. And they do manage to snake that particular F word that we love around here into the narrative early on. And there is at least a veiled message in this whole thing that Emmett and Ma's faith paid off. They lost the contest, but got a gig that was clearly going to pay out more than $50. They would have that belly full of grub, even with a busted wash tub. And since I think like a business person these days, it seems reasonable that even though Ma downplays odd jobs and laundry as ways to make money in the light of their newfound fame, they would, in this instance, be able to pick up where they left off if their gig at the Riverside Rest ever dried up. They would have money to fix the wash tub or even buy a new one. Yeah. And, of course, they would be able to get that tool chest back. Yeah. So, you know, all's well that ends well. Even The Gift of the Magi doesn't exactly end in tragedy. It ends in disappointment. Yeah. But not in tragedy. 
because hair does grow back eventually. And there was always the possibility that Jim could save enough money to get that watch back, too. So it wasn't exactly bleak. It just wasn't happy. It was bittersweet, melancholy, whatever word you want to use there. Didn't have the happy ending, but it also wasn't disaster. What the otters were looking down the barrels of was disaster. If they didn't have their storybook ending. And that's why it was in there. Because the writer of the short story that this was based on, I think kind of (laughs) took things to more of an extreme than that story ever left room for. Yeah. You know? So in the end, Ma and Emmett do have a leg up on Jim and Della, but only slightly. Yeah. The thing that bugs me, though, is that even before they get offered the job, Ma and Emmett are at peace with their situation. Because now keep in mind that whole business about I should feel bad, but I feel but I still feel pretty good happens before they're offered the job. Yeah. They're at peace with their situation because at the end of the day, they did what Pa would have done or what they perceive that Pa would have done. At that point, the ultimate outcome didn't matter. What they did honored Pa, and that's the important bit. You see the parallels there? Win, lose, or draw, Pa's way is always best. You see where I'm going with this? I can't pay my mortgage, but I paid my tithe. I honored Pa, and now everything is going to be okay. I stopped going for chemo because Pa promises that if I just have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, I'll get through it. I'm going to claim my healing and let Pa's glory shine. I can sabotage my livelihood, my finances, my health. It doesn't matter. If I have faith... And I'm doing what Pa would want me to do. Mm. It's all going to work out. I'll be saved in the end one way or another. You see, the problem is that life is a lot more like Jim and Della than it will ever be like Emma and Ma. We need to be smart about the choices we make. We need to consider all the options and make decisions based on what makes sense, not what Pa would do. And in the context of Christmas... We need to understand that it doesn't matter how much money we spend or how far out of our way or into debt we go to make the people around us happy. Stuff doesn't make us happy. You know what makes us happy? Things like stability. Things like good relationships and loving the people that we are and loving the people that we live with. Mm. Not stressing over the next credit card bill, wondering how we're going to make the minimum payment and make enough room for next year's presents. That is not a recipe for happiness. We need to be looking at things from a more practical perspective and understand the things that really matter. And amassing more stuff doesn't in the grand scheme of things. We don't need guitars with Mother of Pearl inlays. We do not need used pianos. What we need is each other. So just a couple words of encouragement because I know that there are people out there that are all over the spectrum when it comes to how merry you're perceiving your Christmas is going to be this year. So let me give you a little bit of encouragement. If you're going to wake up on Christmas morning this year, knowing that you couldn't provide every last little thing your kids wanted, if you didn't get your wife that diamond bracelet, if you're letting society tell you that you should be doing better, remember that if you're doing your best, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I am doing my best, It's good enough. Keep that in mind. It's good enough. Don't worry about society's opinions. Don't worry about cultural mandates. None of that matters as much as you've been taught to think it does. 
think differently. Don't put all your stock in a few minutes worth of oohs and ahs over presents on one December morning. Look at the big picture. Think realistically. Christmas is whatever it looks like in your house, whether it's a huge holiday thing or if it's just going to be an average Sunday this year. It's going to be whatever it looks like in your house and in your life. And you know what? That's all good. There are ways outside the realm of evangelicalism that we as a society need to let go of just as urgently. And I think that the commercial side of Christmas is one of them. I'm not saying don't give each other presents. I'm not saying don't participate in this major cultural juggernaut. Just don't place the importance on it that you've been told that you should. Because at the end of the day, stuff doesn't matter. You don't need a little something extra. What you need is each other. The Gift of the Magi communicates this message a little better than Emmett and Ma, I think. The absence of a happy ending in the original story provides a more pointed cautionary tale, and it makes the point that putting too much stock in what we provide and too little in what we have is an area of thought where many of us still need to get and stay unbound. hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.